Welcome, Pulso fam, back to the Pulso podcast. It's been a while since you've heard from us. And since our last season, we have been stepping back, thinking back to the episodes that we ran, and really reflecting on what we want this third season of our show to look like. One of the exciting surprises we have for you all in this new season is that you won't just be hearing from me or from some of the other Pulso teammates, but we have a new co-host. We are so, so, so excited to introduce you to Maribel Quesada-Smith, who will be joining us in all of the conversations. Maribel, welcome! Hola! Thank you so much. Gracias for that amazing introduction. I'm so happy to be here with the Pulso fam. When you guys called me, I was very excited because I've been following the Pulso brand and you, Liz, as well for a little while. So it was really cool to be invited to be a part of this family. You are the perfect addition, Maribel, to this podcast. You are a producer. You are a video content editor. You are a multimedia woman extraordinaire. But that's just a little bit of what you do. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about you? I am, first and foremost, I am a Mexican woman born in Mexico City who immigrated to the United States at age 12. So I am also now an American. And well, <laughs> we'll talk more about that later, you know, the complexities of that bicultural life that I live or multicultural, actually, because I'm also married to a black man and I have a multiracial son. So there had been there have been a lot of different instances in my life where I felt nidi aquí nidi allá. Uh, I'm just a, a woman that's complex, like many others out there. On the professional side, I'm a producer, like you mentioned. I just love creating stories. You see, you all, this is exactly why we brought Maribel on <laughs> to our show, where we share the untold stories and want to hear from the unheard voices in our community. And when we were thinking of what was missing, what do we want to switch up for this next phase of the Pulso podcast, we really want to make this next season conversational. We want you all at home to feel like you're listening to Doha Amigas, to people you know, <laughs> asking yourselves about the same things that we're going to be talking about, about that in-between, like Maribel said, about what it means to be Latino in this country and to be able to really unpack a lot of the questions that we all have as we navigate our identity here being diferente in the U.S. So one of the things that we wanted to do to really introduce Maribel and to have you all get to know her is to play a few clips from her podcast, Diferente. Maribel, why don't you tell us about this first clip we're about to listen to? So this first clip is from the episode called When Frida Kahlo Meets Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> and the reason I created that episode is because I always felt like someone who could encompass all of those things. The artsy and very proud Guerrera Mexican spirit of Frida Kahlo combined with the fashion icon and love devotee that Carrie Bradshaw is. I mean, like when it comes down to it, yes, Frida's real, Carrie isn't. <laughs> but she's real to us, Maribel. <laughs> she's real in my heart. It's the spirit that she embodies that I find myself kind of embracing. 1996 was the year that changed my whole life. It was August 1996. The Olympics had just ended in Atlanta, and my dad and I landed at what was then the Port Columbus International Airport in Ohio with the maximum allotment for checked luggage. I had packed one suitcase with clothes and two cardboard boxes full of dolls, stuffed animals, and books. And as we stepped outside of the terminal, I inhaled my first breath of Ohio summer air. 
And let me tell you, when you come from a place of dry climate, that amount of humidity can be suffocating. This was the beginning of my immigrant story. The first year was supposed to be a trial year to see if we liked living in the States, but we all knew better. My dad had been decisive in leaving Mexico behind and there was no turning back. When I think about those days now, I consider myself one of the lucky Mexican immigrants, one whose parents had the means to navigate through the lengthy and convoluted, not to mention uber expensive US immigration system. But none of that mattered to me. I was 12 and I didn't care about visas and opportunity. I cared about making new friends and washing down my accent. Lucky for me, that's not how things played out. Because as the years passed and I went from high school to college, I never quite mastered the art of blending in. I always stuck out as the only Mexican girl or the only immigrant or the only brown-skinned, curly-haired Mexican immigrant. I was diferente. And for a very long time, I had a love-hate relationship with myself and my culture. Oh, Maribel, that is so, so, so relatable growing up in a city, in a state here in the U.S. where you are not the majority, which is what you're speaking to, this experience of of that love-hate relationship. Tell us a little bit more of what it was like growing up and, and experiencing being diferente. You know, in that clip, I mentioned the love-hate relationship that I had with myself as well. And you brought it up, like like you said, I was diferente. I liked the Frida Kahlo vibe and I love the Carrie Bradshaw vibe. And I just, I wanted to be all of the things in my heart. I wanted to embrace all of the cultures. I wanted to celebrate the duality that I was living. But in reality, like to society, at that age, I felt like I had to hide and suppress a part of me. And that part was mostly the Mexican side, my Latinidad. And it was really hard because I had to struggle constantly to fit in and be accepted Well, at the same time, I wanted to just be myself. So that was a a constant struggle and it really helped frame who I became as an adult, but not in necessarily a positive way initially. There was a lot of work that I had to put into myself later in years, (laughs) much later in life, to really go back to who I am and be true to who I am. So this assimilation and this love-hate relationship with my culture and myself was also affecting even the way that people pronounce my name or the way that I would let people pronounce my name. So my name is Maribel, as you all now know, but people in the United States wanted to pronounce it Maribel or Mary Bell, (laughs) which is nothing near what I want to be called. But for some reason back then, I was like, yeah, that's fine. It's okay. Like, I I don't need to press on that. I can let people mispronounce my name. And it also helped to wash me down. It, It also helped to make me more palatable to people because they were not afraid to say my name. They could just be like Maribel and I would respond. So this next clip talks about that and why it's so important to get your name right when it's a culturally specific name. Maribel. Maribel. That's how you say my name. Not Maribel, not Mary Bell, not Marble. Throughout my whole life in the United States, I've had to battle teaching people how to pronounce my name correctly. Many times I've just been exhausted and said, whatever, however you want to say it, that's fine. 
A lot of the time, I used to feel like I had no right to correct people because maybe it was rude to tell them that they were mispronouncing my name. The funny thing is that this battle hasn't really gone away. I still have to reintroduce myself, reiterate my name many times when I meet someone for the first time. When I introduce myself often, that'll be the second question. After what is your name, the second question will be, oh, where's that from? <laughs> what does that mean? Right. I have to be honest, I don't think that they mean anything by it most of the time. I think that sometimes people are just curious and it's almost like their way of saying, oh, you're not from here. Where are you from? How interesting. Like they're intrigued. And I can kind of understand that because I'm like that too. I'm a very curious person and I ask a lot of questions and maybe sometimes inappropriate questions or questions that might make people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get that, the curiosity of like, oh, yeah. that sounds different. Like, where's she from? Like, where are you from? Bueno, Maribel, this is just too real. And I'm so proud of you for standing up for the right pronunciation of your name. If people in this country can say Tchaikovsky, they can say <laughs> Maribel. And it is so important. It's our identity. It's, it's the name that our parents passed on to you. It's our cultural traditions. It is so important that you bring this up because I know so many of us do feel that shame or or that annoyance, right? Having to correct people all the time. But as you explain, it's so, so worth it. How often do you have to correct people when they say your last name? Oh my gosh, all of the time. I get <laughs> alacron, alacran. I oh, get no. so many different kinds of names. And the accent, right? My name has an accent on the O. And still, when I'm filling out forms online, the accent is not recognized. And so, uh, although things are getting better, there's still a long way to go for uh, ethnically specific names to be included and accepted in this country. But I don't even think it's just about acceptance. I think it's also about people just letting go of that embarrassment of trying something new, because that's part of the problem. When I introduce myself to someone and I say, I'm Maribel, they have, all of a sudden, they they have this look on their face like they saw a ghost. They're like, oh, oh, I can't say that. They immediately just say, I can't say that. Oh, or I'm going to ruin, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce that. I'm, I'm sorry. They start apologizing instead of just trying. Just try. That's all I ask. And then when you try and you keep practicing it, you start to say it correctly. Because honestly, if I can marry a man from Kentucky with a Kentucky accent <laughs> who figured out how to say my name properly, I think most people in America can say it properly too. <laughs> no hate to Kentucky. <laughs> she said it. She said it, you all. Más claro imposible. <laughs> and speaking of Kentucky, I imagine you may have had a similar experience with your husband and your husband's family as you all began this relationship. Kentucky is not exactly the most diverse state <laughs> in America. What was your experience with not only joining his family, but, you know, the whole immigrant experience and the experiences with, with racism that so many Latinos experience everywhere in the country? How was that in Kentucky for you? When I met my husband, the only Mexican people in Kentucky that he had met were the people that would like work in the tobacco farms or the horse racing industry. And that was his impression of Mexican culture. That's it. It was incredibly limited. Wow. And so when he met me, he was kind of confused and he had a lot of questions. <laughs> so we had to do a lot of unlearning together about cultural uh, stereotypes and things like that. His family, though, was super open and welcoming to me. So I'm very grateful about that. Now, growing up, though, in Ohio, it was a different story. I was the only Mexican girl in school. 
I was the only girl that looked like what I looked like. So it was very confusing for people because they would see me. I'm a curly haired, brown skinned person. And people would see me and they honestly would always assume that I was biracial, like white, black. And I had to always explain, no, no, I'm from Mexico. Are you sure? (laughs) They wouldn't believe me. (laughs) And so at first I was kind of like riding that wave of just being the ambiguous girl. Then slowly as I matured, I started to kind of bring my Mexican side back into the flow of things. And I started to be more proud about it and let it shine. And as I started to do that, people did not like it. That's when things got really weird. And in this next clip, I explain how I learned (laughs) and figured out what racism was. Now, heads up, this clip is going to be in Spanish. So we'll sum it up for you after. En un día de otoño del año 2000, decidí hacer una audición para cantar el himno nacional de Estados Unidos en los partidos de básquetbol de mi preparatoria. Hasta ese momento de mi quinto año como estudiante en este país, había sido afortunada de no sentirme discriminada. Lo cual se me hace chistoso decir porque fui víctima de discriminación varias veces antes de ese año. Sin embargo, nunca lo noté hasta que reflexioné los hechos mucho tiempo después. Pero bueno, regresando al tema. Audicioné y me gané uno de los puestos para cantar el Star Spangled Banner. Siempre estuve fascinada con el himno nacional de Estados Unidos. Lo aprendí de estudiante en México y para mí era, y lo sigue siendo, una canción muy emotiva. No sé por qué, tal vez por el hecho de ser inmigrante, pero a veces hasta lloro con cantarlo. Qué malinchista sueno, ¿verdad? No me juzguen. Esto no quiere decir que no ame ser mexicana. Se vale amar a más de un país. Lo que sí es que recuerdo haber sentido muchísimo orgullo de cantar el himno en frente de mi comunidad. Y todo iba bien hasta que un día una compañera de la prepa escribió en su perfil de Instant Messenger Mexicans should not sing out the national anthem. Y no me acuerdo qué más puso, pero fue suficiente para hacerme sentir mal y ofender hasta a mis amigas. Maribel, lo que ella escribió es racista. Hay que denunciarla con el director, me dijo la amiga que encontró el perfil. La verdad, no me había caído el 20, que una niña blanca privilegiada me estaba discriminando hasta que mi amiga me lo hizo ver. La denuncié y también fui a buscarla en el pasillo de la escuela al día siguiente para enfrentarla. Estaba yo tan enojada que no podía articular bien mis palabras y ella solo me ignoró y no dijo nada y siguió con su rutina. Después de mi denuncia, el director habló con su mamá y regañó a la niña, pero ahí quedó todo. En ese entonces el bullying no era tan penado y no había parámetros para vigilar lo que hacíamos en el Internet. Básicamente, el director no sintió que tenía el poder ejecutivo sobre lo que hacíamos fuera de la escuela para suspenderla. No estamos tan claros en las formas en las que nosotros también participamos en este racismo. Si crees que eres parte de un grupo y no te va a afectar este racismo o no eres parte de la persona que es racista o de la comunidad racista, entonces no vas a reaccionar de la manera que, que otras personas. Desafortunadamente, ese incidente con lo del himno nacional desató una cadena de actos contra mí. No acabó en ese instante. 
Varias veces salí en la mañana a prender mi carro encontrando alguna sorpresa nueva con un recordatorio de que yo no era bienvenida. A veces eran huevos, otras veces mantequilla de cacahuate y a veces papel de baño enrollado por todo mi carro y hasta en mi casa. Se podía pensar que eran bromas inocentes, hasta que un día salí y encontré el parabrisas roto. Y por todo el costado del carro habían escrito, Speak, go back to Mexico. In this clip, Maribel is talking about the first time she experienced discrimination when she auditioned to sing the Star Spangled Banner at her high school and got picked. As a result, one of her classmates started spreading the racist message, Mexicans shouldn't sing the Star Spangled Banner. And it didn't stop there. The bullying kept going. Her car was egged, her house was toilet papered, her car window was smashed, and the racial slur, Spick, go back to Mexico, was spread all over to make sure Maribel knew she wasn't welcome. Yeah, earlier when I was listening to that clip, I actually started crying, which is so weird to me because I've, I have known the story for so long. I mean, I lived that years ago. I've repeated it in my head many times. I've shared it with people several times. I've never been moved to tears. And for some reason, just a little bit ago, I was tearful about it. It, it really felt like a wave of silence hit me again. I, I felt like I was right back there, right back in high school, feeling that and being shamed for who I was. And I think it's because in this stage of my life, being a mother, I feel like whatever I do or say has a repercussion for my whole family. And so I think I'm just more protective. And so I, I, I imagine myself in, in that young woman's shoes, who I was back then, really just a girl, and my heart breaks. Even the principal was weary to take action against the student that was discriminating against you because bullying was not a thing when we were growing up as much as it is now. <laughs> right. You exactly. know, and my heart breaks for you, too, just thinking back at, at little Maribel in school. It's an age where we're all trying to fit in and belong. And so you already were diferente. Imagine going through this experience and trying to, to find your place. No one should be treated like that. Yeah, and I think that's why we just have to all learn from the experiences that we have had in a way that is actually healing. I think that's been part of the challenge as well. As an immigrant, we go through trauma and we're like, oh, okay, that was horrible. Brush it aside, you know, and then we just keep on going because we're such strong people that we just want to keep on going. But I think it's important that we also address the things that have caused us trauma and caused us issues so that we can truly heal. Totally. And that's part of what our audience can expect that we'll be doing together in the Bursa podcast <laughs> in the episodes to come. Another thing that we want to talk about, which is all too real within our community and that we experience here in the U.S. is the topic, Maribel, of cultural appropriation. I know you have some real experience with that. Girl, I could just talk about that over and over again. People love to lump all Hispanics together. And Cinco de Mayo is one of those holidays that really brings that back to me. I, I like, I'm one of those people who's like dreading the Cinco de Mayo festivities in the United States. Every year I'm like, oh, here we go again. Because all I see is cultural appropriation everywhere. It's one of those things where literally all Hispanics get lumped into, oh, you're Hispanic? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cinco de Mayo. Yay. <laughs> so that's what this clip is about. The thing that's remaining constant is the continued and sometimes non-intentional disrespect for Mexican culture, not to mention the debauchery that takes place every May 5th. 
I know, you might think I'm exaggerating. And maybe you're right, that's your point of view. But if you think that I'm exaggerating when I say drunkenness is disrespectful, then answer this. How many drunk people on Cinco de Mayo know what they're celebrating? How many of them are Mexican? How many of them can tell you why they are actually celebrating? If your answer is zero or I don't know, I've never cared to ask, then you know why I feel disrespected. It's a thin line between plain fun and cultural appropriation. The worst part about Cinco de Mayo is not just that it's been appropriated by corporations. For many Americans, it's now blurred as an all-inclusive Hispanic holiday that celebrates all Hispanics because that's what we need, right? That's what the Hispanic people in the U.S. need. More people thinking that we're all the same and that we're all from Mexico. We all look alike anyway, right? So why not use Cinco de Mayo as an excuse to celebrate us? And then we can't call racism or appropriation because, hey, wait a minute, we're celebrating y'all. We're celebrating your people, Hispanics. Oh, Maribel, you are not exaggerating at all. It is so crazy how this holiday has been co-opted and it still keeps happening. Every year we see the same antics. But, you know, it's crazy that no matter how many times Latino outlets say it, we say it. We specifically tell folks that we're not all the same and that this is not a holiday to be celebrated like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just so frustrating. It's it's a cartoonified holiday that has been co-opted by by the mainstream. And you're right. So many people still see Latinos as as that. Yeah. It's not okay to just ignore the fact that it is upsetting to a culture when you disrespect it like that. So no one is saying don't celebrate it. You want to celebrate it, whatever, fine. I just think it's such a made-up holiday in, in the United States. There's no necessarily cultural ties to what it means when people are celebrating it. So I think that's where my gripe comes in. And that gripe you all, that gripe you all in conversations about holidays and how we should celebrate it, our personal experience, unpacking Latinidad, and just the many questions and thoughts we all go through as we navigate being diferente, being in between, being Latinos here in the U.S. is exactly what you all can expect more of in this next season of the Pulso podcast. More conversations with Maribel like this, unpacking all the things together. You can subscribe to the Pulsa Pod wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review and share this podcast with your friends. Have questions or story ideas to send our way? Send us an email to info at projectpulso.org. This episode was produced by me, Maribel Quesada-Smith, and producer Charlie Garcia. Editing and mixing by Charlie Garcia. Music and additional editing by Julian Blackmore. The clips you heard are from the podcast Diferente. Hey, Pulso fam, I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? 
Atlas Lingway host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.